You may be seated. So there's this little blue dot on my phone that tells me where I am. It's a matter of faith for me, but I'm, I'm told that this dot knows where my phone is with the help of something called global positioning satellites and trigonometry. Somehow the phone knows how far it is from this satellite and also from that satellite, and it learns that the satellites are so far apart from each other, so it must be right here on the corner of Second and Adams in Memphis, Tennessee on planet Earth. Something like that. It's all very mysterious to me, only having lived in Memphis for two years now, occasionally I still find myself relying on that little dot to tell me where I am and how to get where I need to go. But it occurs to me that a much lower tech form of global positioning, if you will, took place every Sunday evening in my grandmother's living room when I was a child. Maybe you recognize this. My parents and brother, aunt and uncle and cousins would all make our official visit to grandma on Sunday nights. And no matter what the particular topic of conversation had been for the evening, eventually a place in town would be mentioned that needed to be located by somebody in the group, and all the positioning would begin. It's three doors down from the Smiths. No, not Cecil Smith, Joe and Tarver Smith. Yeah, Joe and Tarver do have a daughter named Tarver Joe, which can be confusing. She's next door. Down the hill from the Nitzes, other side of the street from Mabel Oysen. You know how that goes? Dr. Oysen directed the university choir and had been gone for actually quite some time by now, but the house was still hers for the purposes of this conversation. And as all these reference points were added, at least the perception grew with us kids that the location in question was actually being zeroed in on by the grown-ups. Sometimes Dad would finish the process with an item of trivia and a reference to something he'd purchased at a yard sale nearby. It's not far from where Rogene Weathers used to live. I bought my best hammer and some spare handles from him. And did you know they found giant bags full of dryer lint in his attic when he died? True story. Of course, what this constellation of saints and mythical figures was really locating was each one of us. In some mysterious way, at the intersection of all these lives sat one particular toe-headed kid in industrial-looking glasses. And it may be because we all locate ourselves in this world according to other lives and stories, those of families, neighbors, neighbors of family, friends of neighbors, and so on, that Jesus' talk of disrupting families is so deeply unsettling and confusing. Without reference to relationships like these, who am I? And if I'm still somehow someone, how do I find me? Do you think that I've come to bring peace to the earth, he says? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three, they will be divided. This, this Jesus sure doesn't sound very Christian at times, does he? In all the talk about family values, left, right, and center, nobody sounds like Jesus. When was the last time you heard anyone say he was going to make things better by turning family members against one another? Why in the world would Jesus say such a thing? And more personally, why would he say such a thing on a Sunday when I'm supposed to introduce the theme for Christian formation for the fall, being reconciled? <laughs> Throw me a bone, Jesus. At least stay on message. We're told that he will guide our feet into the way of peace back at the beginning of Luke. 
And at the end, he appears to the disciples and says, peace be with you, but not here. Not in chapter 12. How do we make any sense at all of this? Well, let's begin by considering the world Jesus lived in. People in the Roman Empire really located themselves in their world in much the same way as we did back in Grandma's living room. The paterfamilias was, was head of this network of relationships that made up a household, right? It included husband, wife, children, but also slaves, even tradespeople and the family business and much more. For better or for worse, a person would locate herself, a person learned who she was, by way of learning what it meant to enter this world at a particular intersection of all these relationships, which also meant that if you didn't have them, you weren't quite a person. Jewish culture had its own family structures. Torah dictated different roles and responsibilities for men and for women, for sons and daughters, the firstborn, for all the rest, for neighbors, servants, foreigners, even cattle. Our world has them too, of course. Ardell was sitting beside me on the porch swing yesterday after giving this sermon's first draft to read. By the way, if you were to see one of these sermons before Ardell gets to them, you'd probably assign bodyguards to her. It could be worse. But she was reading the Daily Memphian on her phone and found all these family structures right there. It was in Bill Drees' piece about Jay Ford Canale giving up his coaching, coaching golf at Christian Brothers to run for city council, getting into politics just like his grandfather, John Ford Canale did. And of course, since I'm a priest and Ford's an undertaker, we've met quite a few times, usually over a casket. In fact, his uncle Sterla lives right up the street from us and walks his wife past our house to Echo for dinner pretty regularly and see what I'm talking about? See how it works? Barely two years in Memphis and the coordinates in our global positioning identity satellites are being set once again. So maybe the relevant point is that in Jesus' day and in ours, people understand their place in the world by describing all these other relationships and in predicting the way families would be ruptured. At the very least, maybe Jesus was saying that a time was coming when people were going to need a different, maybe a more expansive way of understanding their identities than that of family. I have a, baptize, a baptism with which to be baptized, he said, and what stress I am under until it's completed. It seems this baptism would show Jesus his true place in the world, a full expression of who he was really meant to be. But this baptism, of course, was not a polite ceremony with family, friends, and a handful of holy water. The baptism was his death and his resurrection. And from the beginning... Christians, like those for whom Luke was written, have seen baptism as that event that tells us who and where and whose we are in the deepest of ways. What we can forget or ignore is that baptism begins with death, but death is a prerequisite for resurrection. In baptism, the relationships that tell us who we are are reconfigured, and an old way of locating ourselves in the world has to die. We're baptized into something called the body of Christ. As Jesus told Nicodemus over in John, we're born the first time of flesh, born into grandma's living room, you might say. And that birth is necessary, but it's incomplete. We have to be born of spirit as well. 
born into this body of Christ that includes or, or hopes to include the entire world. It's a body including, uh, made up of many gifts, some living, some latent. But it's a body that we may only be able to see ourselves as members of when we're willing to let ultimate attachment to these other sources of identity die, even sources as good and necessary as family. You see, the problem with families is that they're really hard to get into and almost impossible to get out of. This is also their gift. That's another sermon. But if the mission of the church really is reconciliation, if our mission is to restore all people to unity with one another with God, and with God through Christ, as our prayer book says, then small and incomplete notions of unity like family and friendships and country may have to die back a bit so that something more expansive, something more universal can take their place. Something like the body of Christ. Something like the kingdom of God. And it may just be that it's only in seeing ourselves as part of this body that's reaching out to include every one of God's children that we're actually freed to be the child or parent or spouse or friend or citizen we're actually called to be in this world. Maybe family's just one more instance of fruitfulness that comes only out of death. A, a grain of wheat that has to fall to the ground and die so it can be resurrected into the form God has in mind for it. I wouldn't trade those evenings in grandma's living room. I wouldn't trade any of the people in the room either. Most days I wouldn't. Even the global positioning that was telling me something about who I am wasn't a problem unless I learned to trust it too much. Unless I believed that what makes a human a human is anything other than the relentless reconciling love of the God who made every last one of us. Family can be a gift, but only a family is not a God. And Jesus will tear down whatever walls we raise to separate ourselves from one another. Even the ones around the people who brought you into this world, Jesus will tear them down if that's what being reconciled with all those beloved strangers outside our walls requires. 